Ready? All right, welcome everybody. I, d- I do get to read the passage that Stan is going to preach from this morning. It's uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22 through chapter 2, verse 10. Sure, sing along. <laughs> this is a wonderful passage. It's a little difficult for me to read, so blame me for the reading, but these are God's words, so I would ask your attention to them. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever." And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense, They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. God's word. Amen. Thank you, Bill. Appreciate it. Well, good morning again to everybody. Y'all excited? I am too. We are, um, thank you for that. That's some extreme excitement. I love it. Uh, we are this month of November during these preview services, as you know, going through the little letter of First Peter, and we're calling the series Hope uh, for a lot of reasons. One, our name is Greater Hope. And we're trying to kind of set ourselves on the right trajectory as a church. What kind of church does God want us to be? We're focusing on 1 Peter because it's a letter not only written by the Apostle Simon Peter, but it's written to Christians who find themselves in a new place that they never lived before. They find themselves in a new environment. And Peter is saying, in that environment, there is a way to live as a Christian. There is a way to live as a church. And so we want to ask the question, what kind of church does God want us to be? We haven't relocated necessarily places, but we've certainly relocated churches. We're starting a new church here, and we want to hear God's wisdom on what he wants us to be in the Mulberry area. Uh, What kind of church might God be pleased to use to bring gospel renewal to Mulberry? Last week, we saw that we have to be a church that's rooted deeply in the gospel. We have to always be going back to the good news of Jesus and what he's done for us. This week, Peter kind of makes a transition. And he's not only dealing with our relationship with God and how we need to be rooted in the gospel for that relationship, he's now dealing with our relationships with each other. 
This morning, the big idea is that God, we have to be a church. God wants us to be a church that is growing together in community. The Christian community is absolutely of vital importance in the Christian life. Peter says it in a lot of different ways. And I realize that runs right across what so many in our culture think, right? Uh, the, the, The numbers are undeniable. Vast majorities of Americans, vast majorities of people in Polk County and the Mulberry area say, I believe in God. And not only do I believe in God, but I believe in Jesus. I believe Jesus died for my sins. But very low numbers are committed to belonging to the Christian community. Very low numbers in our area. One of the reasons we want to plant a new church is because seven out of ten people, maybe even more depending on how you count it, are not faithfully belonging to a Christian community. Well, as so many people think, is it possible? Is it possible to say, I love Jesus and I want to follow Jesus and be a faithful follower of him and then stiff arm his people? Uh, Peter is going to say no. Uh, It would be a little bit like uh, someone saying to you, how would you feel if someone said, hey, I like you. I want to have a relationship with you, but I don't want you to ever talk about your nationality or your background because I hate it. I don't want you to ever talk about your profession because I hate people who do your job. I don't want you to ever talk about your wife or your husband because I hate that guy or I hate that girl. <laughs> and I definitely don't want you to bring up your kids. Other than that, though, I like you and I want to have a relationship. How is that going to go? How many people are in for that, that a relationship with that person? And Peter's going to tell us that that's actually the way it is with Jesus and his church. The church, the community of God's people, the community of faith, is right at the heart of the reason why Jesus came into this world. It's one of the things that defines him most, one of the things that he delights in and enjoys the most, and that's why we believe it's a conviction. We believe that if we're going to belong to Jesus and follow him, we have to do it together. We believe that the people in our city, the people in our community, if we're going to call them to faith in Christ, part of that is calling them into a relationship with his people. Well, right here in these verses that Bill just read, there are three things about the believing community that we want to see this morning. And you can see those uh, in your worship folder if you want to follow along. They'll also be up here on the screen. The first is why we need to belong. Why is it so important to belong to the Christian community? The second is what does it look like to belong to that community? What's that community like and how would it look for me to belong to it? And the third is how. How can I become a person who belongs So why is it important? What does it look like? And how can I do it? Uh, Let's just go through the passage and look at those three things. Uh, First, why do I need to belong to the gospel community? Well, we've already hinted at it. The church is at the heart of what Jesus loves in the world. But why? Uh, Peter gives us the answer there in verse 22 of chapter 1, if you'll take a look at that again. Uh, Peter says, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. You have to really pay attention to what he's saying there. Uh, At first he says, look, you, you have now, he's talking to Christians, those who have obeyed the truth, he says, those who have believed, your soul has been purified. Now, how has that happened? Uh, We saw it last week in the passage. That happened because Jesus paid the ransom price with his own life. Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead so that as we believe in the gospel, as we obey the truth, Peter says, our very souls get purified. That right there is a great summary of the gospel itself. It's a great summary of what it means to belong to Jesus and follow him. Our souls are being purified from our sins. We're being cleansed. 
We're being drawn near and brought near to God. But then notice what he says. It's an amazing statement. He tells us the reason why Jesus has given his life to purify our souls. He uses the word for. And that word, the word behind it in Greek, which is the language Peter is using, literally means for the purpose of. The reason why your souls have been purified by obeying and by loving the gospel and believing in Jesus is so that you would be able to live in a way of sincere brotherly love. So that you would love one another earnestly from the heart. I don't know if you've ever thought about that before. I know a lot of times we think Jesus died on the cross to save me, this individual, me from my sins. That's very true. There's nothing truer in all the world. But there's more to it, Peter is saying. Jesus also died not only to save me as an individual from my sins. Jesus died so that I might become a person who belongs to the entire community bought with his blood. So that I might become a person who is living in sincere brotherly love. One of the reasons Jesus died on the cross was to give life to the church. Was so that churches like this one might exist all over the world. Communities of people gathered together, calling on the name of God and worshiping him. Now, I don't know about you, but what are the things in life that you would die for if you had to list those out this morning? It can't be a list any longer than maybe three things, right? (laughs) Maybe your family, maybe your faith, maybe your spouse, uh, maybe your reputation. I don't know if there's many more things that would make it on that list for me. Well, how important are those things if you would die for them? They're right at your heart, aren't they? They're the things that most deeply define you. And and this is saying, this passage by implication is saying that it's right at the heart of Jesus' saving work. It was the reason why he paid such a high price on the cross so that he could know his people together in community in the church. And why is that good news? He describes why it's good news. He says that it's for a sincere brotherly love. And that's a great description of what the church is or what the church is supposed to be. The church is supposed to be a community of sincere brotherly love. Brotherly love, that's love among, well, brothers. (laughs) Love among the siblings in a family. How many of y'all have siblings? How many of y'all have brothers and sisters? How easy is is it to love them? Did you get to choose them? Do you get to choose how they treat you and how they act towards you? All the answers are no to that. But do you love them anyway? Now, my brother's in here, and I know he's, he's probably get, you know, catching some personal vibes, but that's not, that's not meant personally <laughs> in any way. It's just simply true, though, that the family is not a, a group of friends that you handpick and choose, right? They're given to you, and so the same with the church. The church is not a group of friends that you've handpicked because they're cool enough, because they look the way you want them to, because they perform the way you want them to. They are the family that God has gathered around you. God has chosen them for you. But we're supposed to be a community of brotherly love, which means I love them anyway. Even though I didn't choose them to be with me, even though I may not have chosen them had I had the choice, yet still, because of Jesus' grace and mercy, I'm called to love them. That's the kind of community God wants to show, wants to create through the death of Jesus Christ. Brotherly love, but also sincere. That word sincere literally means unhypocritical. Uh, in, when Peter was writing this, Greek theater was very famous, very, very popular. Almost every town had an amphitheater where they would do plays, and the actors would go on stage and they would wear masks. If it was a great play, they would wear, or a happy play, they would wear smiley face masks. If it was a tragedy, a sad play, they would wear frowns. 
But all that would happen for the actor is that they would put that, that mask on, hiding who they really are, and then they would act out this other person that they're really not. You know what they called those actors? Hypocrites. That's where that word comes from. And Peter is saying, look, what, you, what Jesus died for is to make you a part of a community where you don't have to wear the mask anymore. To bring you into a community where you can take the mask off and no longer pretend you're somebody you're not. You can be who you really are, fully known, yet at the same time, remember brotherly love, fully known and fully loved at the same time. Now that's a radical kind of community. Does anybody know where else you can find that type of love? Fully known, fully loved? I mean, often we think if I'm fully known, I'm not going to be fully loved and so I hide myself. Or when I fully know someone, I don't really like them so much. (laughs) And so I, I fail to love them. But, but God is saying, this, this Bible, the Bible right here is saying, Jesus died to create this church where we're fully known, fully loved, no masks. And I think so many people in our community, whether they maybe even are conscious of it or not, this is what they're longing for in their lives. I think many of us in our room, in this room, are longing for that. If you really knew me, would you really love me? So isn't that a question that's always sort of bubbling up under the surface in our lives? The answer in Christ, it says it's possible for the answer to be yes. You can be a part of this kind of community that loves deeply from the heart, even as you're fully known. And so that's why Jesus believed. It's so valuable. That's why Jesus believed it was something worth giving his life to secure. He gave his life to create this kind of community. And so when you read the whole Bible, it's no surprise that you don't see God just simply picking an individual here and an individual there and an individual here. But God is always building a community, right? When he saves Noah, he saves Noah and his family. When he saves Abraham, he makes a nation. When he saves Moses, he saves a nation. When he saves David, he saves the entire kingdom. When he sends Jesus, he creates the church. He creates the community, not just me and Jesus by myself, but us together in Jesus. And that's so important. I mean, our hearts really are so thirsty for that because we live in a a time of deep individualism, don't we? A time where we, I mean, if we're honest, do we really want to be fully known and fully loved? (laughs) Isn't it much easier to drive into our, our garage, put the door down and watch Netflix? Isn't that easier? It shields us from all the pains that happen when we open up our lives to being fully known. It takes time, it takes effort, it takes blood, sweat, and tears, lots of tears to get to know people. And yet, it's like balm to our souls because we were created for it. We were created to know each other this way. We were created to be fully known and fully loved, but when we disobeyed God, not only did it alienate us from him, but it alienated us from each other, and today we see it all around. We're an individualistic culture, every man and every woman for him or herself. You know, one writer says it this way, uh, everybody has to put their life in the context of a larger story. And the reason some people have hope and some people don't is the story they put their life in either leads somewhere great or it doesn't lead anywhere really at all that they can see. That's what makes the difference between a hopeful life and a life that's relatively hopeless. And this writer then goes on to say that today in America, the book he wrote is called The American Dream. And he says today in America, the story that we're putting ourselves into is really just a story about self. It's about how do I get to a place where I can express myself? 
How do I get to a place where I can fulfill myself? And when we put, when that's the biggest story driving our lives, then it has really no real conclusion. It has no real transcendent, it has nothing that goes beyond me and bigger than me. And so it leaves me with this big hole. And what the Bible is saying is that Jesus has come to repair that part of me too. He didn't just come to square things away, me and him. He came to square things away relationally. Uh, Another way to think of it and a way to kind of bring it closer to home. When I was a kid going to elementary school just down the road around the corner at Kingsford Elementary, we, we would play different games at P.E., uh, some uh, weeks we would play organized sports. You know, we'd play an organized game of basketball or an organized game of football. But then on like free days, we would always devolve into this chaotic, unorganized game called kill the man with a ball. Y'all remember that? And, and, you know, we had other offensive names for that game, which I can't say, but kill the man with a ball is a nice name for it. And basically it's every, everybody who gets the ball gets tackled, right? And everybody just dogpiles on them. It's every man, every man for himself, every woman for herself. Now imagine how different that is from an organized game of football. No points can be scored and kill the man with the ball. There's no winner, there's no loser, there's just a bunch of bruised bodies at the end. <laughs> and what I think we've done to ourselves when we cut ourselves off from community is we throw in in our lives to just a big old game of kill the man with the ball. Instead of getting together under Jesus, with Jesus, moving in a direction, our life a part of a larger story that goes beyond ourselves. That's why it's so important. That's why we believe the church is important. It's not just because we're starting anew and we really want people here, <laughs> although we do, right? It's also because we believe it's, it's really deeply satisfied something in us, and we believe it's going to satisfy, it can satisfy something in so many other people as well. Well, we got to move on. The second thing, what does it look like? And here, Peter has already hinted at it by saying it's a community where you're fully known and fully loved. But then he goes on to give us three pictures of this community, three sort of portraits of what it looks like, three examples. And there's way more here than I can possibly cover. I'm not going to cover it all. So I'm just going to breeze by and give you these three pictures, show you how they're here in the passage so that you can go away and think about them. The first thing he says is the church is like a family and we're like the children in a family. He says uh, there in verse 23, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but imperishable. Uh, we talked about this two weeks ago. We've been born again to enter into this faith. God performed a miracle on us. He made us a whole new person. Well, in doing that, we become a whole new person, a part of a whole new people. We become a part of this new family where God is the father. It's his word that has brought us back again. And so we belong to him in a special way. A family is a place where people belong. And the church is that kind of place. You know, if we're gonna be like the kind of church that this passage is describing and saying that everybody needs that greater hope, we have to be far more than just a service on Sunday morning. Is that right? We have to be far more than just a preaching station. Definitely far more than that. We have to be a family that draws people in and and shows them, hey, I love you, I've got your back, you belong here. Uh, This is a place where you can fit in. Because the scripture says here that what Jesus is doing when he comes to save us is he's giving us new birth so that we have a whole new family to live in where we, like siblings together, get to work out this messy thing called love. Now it is messy because look at chapter two, verse one. 
As soon as he says you've been born again and now God is your father, then he says, put away all these, other th- these nasty things, things that we tend to do, malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. That's how messy the church can be. And that's why it's understandable that a lot of people think, hey, I want to love Jesus, but not the church. Completely understand that because the church can be filled with all these things. But if you notice what those things are, they're either a failure to be fully known, like hypocrisy and deceit, or they're a failure to fully love when we fully know. And that's slander and that's envy and that's, that's malice where we really just want people to suffer, where, where we really don't want people to thrive. We have an ill will against them. The family, he says, is a messy place, but it's a place where we belong, and it's also a place where God provides what we need to work through the mess. And so there in verse 2, it says, like newborn babies. At our house, we know a little bit about this next sentence right now in our lives. Like newborn infants long crave, literally crave, pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up, you may become mature, if indeed you've tasted that the Lord is good. It's a family where not only it's messy, but we belong, and God has provided by his word, by his spirit, he's provided what we need, if we'll crave it, if we'll come to it, he's provided exactly what we need to grow up and to become the kind of people who really are able to to extend belonging to those in our community. Not to give them the stiff arm and put up the mask and pretend and not to to spike them, but to draw them in and and to love them. So it's got to be a family. Uh, The second thing he says that it's like is a temple with a priesthood. Now this one's a little bit more abstract. You kind of have to know a little bit about the Old Testament. But he goes on to say in verse 4, As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious... You yourselves, like living stones, he's comparing us to stones, are being built up into a spiritual house or temple to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices to God through Jesus Christ. The second picture of the church is is a temple. And in the Old Testament, the temple was the place that God lived. Literally, his presence came down there. And people were overwhelmed with his presence And the priests, as they were overwhelmed, they led them into an encounter with God into worship. What does it look like to belong to the church? It looks like us being a people who encounter the presence of the living God together. That's a scary thing. That's an awesome thing. When the temple was first set up, it was first a tent in Exodus chapter 40. When they set it up, remember what happened? Those of you who know this story, Exodus 40 a a cloud and a fire just rushes down upon the temple. God's presence, visibly seen. I'm not saying that's going to happen here, but we still have have a tremendous access through Jesus to the very presence of God. It said it was so thick that they couldn't even get in to do their work. And so one of the things this raises to me is that as we're embarking on belonging together and becoming a church together, I know we're all praying so much about different people that we would like to come and visit in a few weeks' time when we we open this thing up to the public. How many of us are praying that God would come visit? (laughs) Right? Because that's what we are. The church, belonging to the church is not just a family of humans. Belonging to the church is a temple where God's glory dwells. Paul says in 1 Corinthians that when outsiders come into your services... He says they ought to be convicted by the word of God and they ought to walk away saying, I might not believe what those people believe, 
but God is really among them. God is really there. That's, what, that's the cry of my heart for this church. That we together as a group and then individually as we go to our daily lives, we would experience and understand what the presence of God is. Because, God, because Jesus has given his very life so that we could have a safe encounter with that glorious presence. Unlike the temple of old, we no longer have to go to Jerusalem. We no longer have to stand behind a curtain. We no longer have to bring a goat in here and slaughter it to get in. Praise God, right? Now, anywhere you are, right here in this auditorium, the very presence of God can be felt, and we as a people can have an ongoing conversation and relationship and dialogue with him. But isn't it so true that often the last person we expect to meet at church is God himself? Right? Isn't that true? The last person we really expect to show up is God. We get so like into our, our, our normal routine of setting everything up and singing all the songs and making sure everybody's covering everything that one thing we don't expect is what if God really came down today? But I believe that's how we're going to see renewal in our city. Is if not only this church, but other churches start praying, God, visit us. Be here because what we're doing is so weak. I mean, there's no way we're going to change lives just by what we're doing. What changes lives is an encounter with you. So that the church is a, is a family. We're children in it. The church is a temple and we're priests in it. The third thing is the church is a nation and we're citizens of it. Uh, there in verse 9, uh, you can see it. But you are a chosen race. That's another word for nation. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people, yet another word for nation, a people for God's own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. What does it look like to belong to the church? It looks like being a part of God's nation as a citizen so that now God himself defines me more than anything else. I know many of you in your room, several of you anyway, have served in the military and y'all of everybody else knows what citizenship in a nation might call upon you or ask you to do for that citizenship. Am I right? Y'all know that the possible cost that you might be called in to pay. I remember in my own life wrestling with that. I was here at this school uh, when September 11th happened. I was a senior in high school um, in this room. And um, I was about to turn 18. I knew our country was thrust into a war, Right? I had to think over the next several months, is there going to be a draft? If there's not a draft, am I going to just go ahead and sign up? Because my citizenship has this weighty sense of responsibility on it. I belong to America, and so I want to do what that belonging requires of me. And, and that's the way the church is. We come in here not just to be passive. We come in here to have to evaluate for ourselves, what is it that God is calling me out to do and Peter here tells us, we are called to the front lines of the battle in this world. The battle is between good and evil. It's between light and dark. To be a part of the church means you've gone from darkness to light. And now your job, do you think of yourself this way? Your job is to be someone who beats back the darkness wherever you find it. Where you live, work, and play, you beat back the darkness. Now, notice he doesn't say, I want you to go take your guns and your bombs and beat back the darkness that way. It's not that kind of war. He also doesn't say, I want you to go out now that you're God's chosen people and you're his holy nation. I want you to go out and complain to the darkness incessantly about how dark it is. 
It also doesn't say that. And often that's what Christians do, right? We do that. The culture war. (laughs) We think we're making a dent by just saying how bad the world is getting. That's not what he says. What does he say we're to do? Proclaim the excellencies of him. That's the weapon of this church. It's actually the only weapon this church has at its disposal. Not to tell Mulberry how dark she is. Not to tell this community how how lost and going to hell in a handbasket, so to speak, it is. But telling the community, look how excellent and great our Father is. Look at how much mercy he's shown me. Look at how he's changed me from a person of darkness now to being a person of light. And don't you want to be a part? Don't you want to be in the number of those that are a part of his family, that are stones in his temple to to experience his presence, that are a part of the nation to carry the flag of Jesus out into the world. We have to be very careful. The way that we talk about our city, the way that we approach and talk folks who are struggling with what to believe, we shouldn't first come with a truth hammer and say, you're wrong, I'm right, be like me. That's terrible, that's not the gospel. Instead, we should come with look at how amazing and great our God is. Those are the three pictures, very quickly, or as quickly as I could do it anyway. It's a family, we're children in it. It's a temple, we're priests in it. It's a nation, we're citizens in it. But how in the world are we gonna do this? That's the last thing. How can we really belong? Because all of us know, I mean, many of y'all know, the church hardly ever lives up to these pictures. Uh, the ch- this, even this church, I mean, this church is so new and we still, we already don't live up to the calling that God has given us. None of us do. That's why it's, it, it is, again, so understandable that people want to keep the church at a distance. They've experienced real pain from the church. But I want you to notice how how Peter doesn't let us off the hook. Instead, he shows us mercy. He shows us to the mercy of God there in verse 10, quoting from an Old Testament book called Hosea. He said, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. That's a quotation from Hosea. If you know about Hosea, it was a book in the Old Testament where God was sending a prophet to say, y'all are not my people because you're not living up to my design. You are not the kind of community that I intended you to be. And so I'm writing you off for now, but I'm writing you off so that you might be in a position to experience my overwhelming love when I pour it out on you. And so Hosea had this hard assignment as a prophet. He not only had to preach, but he was called to marry a woman that he knew, because God told him, he knew that she would cheat on him several times. And he was called in the front of the whole nation to keep bringing her back and bringing her back and remarrying her and recommitting to her because God said, I want to show you the way that I love my people. And so Peter, not incidentally, Peter not accidentally quotes from that book to give us hope that God has a solution for his people, even though they fall way short of the calling that he's given. And that solution is this, I love you anyway. (laughs) I'm committed anyway to you. I'm committed to taking you from being a community that doesn't look very salty or isn't full of light to bringing you into a community that's full of my flavor and full of my light. I'm gonna do that by pouring my love, by being like a husband to you 
that never casts you out and never throws you away. That's what it looks like. It's amazing grace. It's God's grace poured into me, which finally enables me to become a person who loves. Isn't that right? It's a community that falls short that's being loved into beauty by God himself. And Peter knew something about that firsthand. I love the word that he uses up in verse 22, if you go back there in in chapter 1, where he said, love one another earnestly. That word earnestly is very rare. It's a very strong word. It's only used two other times in the New Testament. That caught my attention. I looked it up. It's used two other times to describe how somebody in the Bible stories treated Peter himself. It's only used in stories where Peter is the recipient of earnest love. The first one was Jesus himself. The Garden of Gethsemane. The night before he was going to be crucified for Peter, his disciples, all of us, he was there praying. And it says when Peter was within earshot, Jesus was praying earnestly for his disciples about the cross, asking God to give him strength to give up his life for him. Peter knew firsthand that Jesus had loved him. And then the, the second time it's used is in Acts when Peter is put in prison for preaching and it says the church gathered together in somebody's house and began to pray earnestly that Peter would be released. Twice Peter has been the recipient of this kind of very rare love, this earnest love. The first time he saw it from Jesus the Savior and then he saw how Jesus the Savior's love had made even this ragtag group of people called the church, it had made them able to love him in the same way. And now he's turning around and he's saying, all of y'all, every Christian, every believer, learn how to love earnestly because Jesus has loved you. Once you were not God's people, but Jesus was cut off so that you could be brought in. Once you were not his family member, once you had no connection and Jesus was alienated and he perished on the cross so that we could be adopted in. He was exiled so that we could be included, do you see? Jesus' earnest love, working in our hearts, thawing us out, making us new. There's a hymn that says it well. It says, my song is love unknown, love to the unlovely shown that they might lovely be. Now that's poet speak, right? It's speaking like Yoda. So we have to kind of like translate it out. What is it saying? God, your love is different than any other because you loved me when I was loveless so that you could turn me into a person who's lovely, who's beautiful. That's the gospel. And so when we jump to say, hey, that the church is full of hypocrites, the church is full of, of people that don't belong there, that don't deserve it, instead of saying, that's a reason for me to stay away, we should have the humility that comes from the gospel to say, hey, that's the perfect place for me. <laughs> I belong there. I need the saving love of Jesus to change me because I too can be a hypocrite. I too can be someone who who isn't very good at loving other people, who's very self-absorbed and very self-centered and God comes in and he changes us. One great beautiful picture just as we close. Uh, My girls love the movie Beauty and the Beast. They watch it all the time. I don't know if any other kids in here love that movie. It's a great movie. It's the perfect picture of the gospel because you have the prince who doesn't know how to love people at all. He's turned into a hideous beast because of that. He becomes on the inside what he is on the outside. He's rude, he's ugly, he's nasty. How is he ever gonna learn how to love? How is he ever gonna be human again? Enter beauty. 
Belle. (laughs) She's as beautiful on the outside as she is on the inside. She's a person full of love, and she comes into his life, even when she's his prisoner. She loves him, and she loves him, and she loves him, and she loves him anyway, and anyway. And what happens? His heart begins to break. It begins to thaw. It begins, you know, it begins to warm up and even catch fire. And at the very end, what's he willing to do? He's willing to give his very life for Belle. And when he does, I love it, the magic of Disney animation. <laughs> you know, light shoots out of his fingertips, out of his head, out of his toes, transformed back into a prince. Able to be someone who loves. That's the gospel. All of us are beasts when it comes to loving each other well. Is that true of you? (laughs) And Jesus, the ultimate beauty, the one who has no flaws in his love, has come and he's loved us, he's loved us, he's loved us. That's why we should want to be a part of his family. (laughs) That's why we should want to be a part of his community. Don't you want to be in that number? Don't you want the people that you live with, work with, and play with in this area to be in that number? That's why we're here. Please pray with me, and then we're going to go uh, to communion this morning. Uh, Father, we thank you so much for your word, um, especially just for the way that you love us. Uh, We get to see in this passage just various glimpses of that, that your love for us is not just a love for us each individually, one by one, but you really do love us as a community, as a whole. And so, Father, as we come to your table this morning, as we transition from the word spoken to now the word that we get to taste, that we get to see and touch, I pray that you would fill us with assurance that you love us and you are working to make us one people together, we pray in Jesus' name, amen and amen.